Oregon district attorneys are elected in every county and serve four-year terms. This election cycle, Multnomah County is voting for a district attorney to fill the role when current district attorney Rod Underhill retires. Ethan Knight has over two decades of experience as a prosecutor. Now he's running to be Multnomah County's DA. Good morning, Ethan. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Well, welcome to Akshay. We're excited that you are here. Well, fantastic. I, ha- I had a wonderful mail day yesterday, and <laughs> I got my voter pamphlet. <laughs> I have it open to the very last page where your race is featured and has yourself and Mike Schmidt, who are running for Multnomah County District Attorney. But tell us, who are you and why are you running? No, absolutely. Uh, I'll tell you first uh, that I'm running because I love this community. I grew up in Portland, went to Portland Public Schools, uh, went away and then came back uh, and began a career in public service uh, because I wanted to be an advocate for the community and for the people of this community. Uh, I've spent over two decades uh, as a state and federal prosecutor where I've handled uh, virtually every type of case uh, that our system sees, Uh, from the most serious cases, the robberies and the homicides, to environmental crimes. I've prosecuted a number of polluters. And in the federal system, I've handled public corruption, international terrorism, uh, and domestic terrorism, uh, doing a considerable amount of cutting-edge work uh, against right-wing extremists uh, nationally. Uh, And throughout that time, I've stayed active in the community as well. Uh, I've been very active uh, in the legal community, um, helping provide legal services uh, to underprivileged folks in the community. And I've done a lot of work also uh, to help uh, underprivileged youth, both as a member of the Governor's Juvenile Crime Ad- uh, Advisory Committee uh, and as a board member of the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, so that really brings me, I guess, uh, to your listeners today and why I'm running for district attorney. Mm. You know, I was thinking about uh, your career and your resume and being in this community for so long. I, too, um, grew up in a community, uh, you know, spent my entire school career in one place. And I started to think about how the justice system shaped my own community. And I was wondering if you could give your thoughts on your experience in Portland. How has the justice system shaped this community in your lifetime? Well, I mean, you know, in any community, uh, and certainly in Portland, in our larger community, you know, the justice system is an integral, critical piece. It's one that folks don't often think about, uh, but it matters for every single person, whether or not uh, they know it or not. Uh, You know, and I think in this community, you know, there are good things and bad things in our justice system over the years. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of cutting-edge progressive work in the district attorney's office that folks haven't realized really for the past two decades. You know, I helped create one of the first alternative courts uh, here in Oregon 20 years ago with the community court. We've done that, and that's really been reflective, I think, of the values of this community and recognizing um, that sometimes there are different approaches to the justice system. And the other piece mm-hmm. of that, too, is uh, the justice system protects everyone. You know, one of the things I learned early on as a young district attorney uh, is that, you know, the victims of crime are often poor and from underserved communities, uh, and people forget that. And so when I think we talk about the justice system in our community, uh, to me, a lot of that is advocating on behalf of the least fortunate and protecting them, and that's something we've done well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always uh, room for improvement. I think over the two decades I've been in the system, we've, I think, appropriately uh, realized that, uh, you know, incarceration for a lot of drug offenses may not be the best answer uh, and that our focus should be on other things. But that's one of the best things, I think, about the system is the ability to recognize deficiencies and change them as we move along uh, and do what's right when we know we've got something right. Mm. 
Now, when I looked at your website, your homepage says this race is about leadership, which is a provocative statement. What does that mean to you? Well, you know, I think with the district attorney's race, it's one that folks don't know a lot about but has a significant impact in the community. But it's a job and a role uh, that requires a level of expertise uh, that really makes a difference. And to me, this race is about the credibility and leadership, particularly in a time right now, uh, we're, we're in an emergent crisis and we need expertise, I think, increasingly to do the vital functions that citizens you know, expect us to do. So when we talk about this race, it really is about who has the credibility and experience to lead the district attorney's office, which has a core function, and that is to prosecute crime uh, and to seek justice. And that's, to me, what the race is really about at its core. Mm. Does the office also have a responsibility around restoration? And what does that look like? What does that mean to you? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think that, you know, we talk about a lot of these collateral issues in the criminal justice system. Now, in understanding, of course, that, you know, by statute and by law, that office prosecutes uh, cases. And last mm-hmm. year, that was over 10,000 cases. But when we talk about restoration, I think, to me, that's the idea of keeping in mind the whole person. Uh, typically, when we talk about restorative justice with victims uh, and sort of thinking outside the traditional confines of you know, charging, punishment, uh, and then moving on to the next case. And it's part of, I believe, uh, and this is something I've learned in my 20-plus years handling cases, of keeping in mind both the collateral consequences of prosecuting someone and the larger impact on the community in making a decision. So restoration could mean implementing programs that are mindful of larger community needs, neighborhood needs, uh, needs of specific populations, both with victims and defendants, Uh, So that's, to me, what restoration means, and it should guide larger policy questions, uh, but not detract us from the core mission of the office. Mm. And what's at stake in this particular race? You know, I think what's at stake is, uh, you know, making sure that this community has the best possible district attorney to carry on the core work of the district attorney's office and to seek justice at every turn. Uh, and I think that often gets lost in a race like this because, you know, we expect things to go well till they don't, uh, is, you know, what that means. And um, I think what's at stake is making a choice for the, the best person to do that job uh, on a day-to-day basis to protect our community, to protect the rights of defendants, and to protect the rights of victims who are often from poor and underserved communities. Uh, and it's one of those things uh, that you often don't know what you've got till it's gone. And, you know, I think we need someone who's got the background to do that job right. Mm-hmm. Now, when folks are evaluating this race, they're, they're looking at experience. And when I read the, the voters pamphlet here, which I happen to have in front of me, um, one of the comments on, on your statement says, we can trust Ethan to strengthen community partnerships and programs. How do we know that we can trust you? I think that's a, a really also important part in evaluating the the candidates, not only the experience, but sort of what it's going to look like moving forward. So what is, how can we trust you as a candidate? Well, because, I, you know, I've been doing it for 20-plus years, uh, and I have the trust of people who work in this area and the support of people who work in this area and the understanding and the credibility within the office I'll be leading. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the, you know, I think one of the biggest distinctions between my opponent and I really and why folks should look carefully at the endorsements in that voter's pamphlet. Uh, because mine come from the professionals who do the work. Uh, so we talked about trusting someone to do the work um, and to have the credibility to bring the community into the fold and where it matters. 
it's going to need to be someone who has the relationships with the people who work in the criminal justice system uh, and who understand the legal community and the legal system, because that is, of course, at its core what the office is about. It's important to have that outreach and bring everyone into the fold, but at the end of the day, those 10,000 cases come through our courts, mm-hmm. uh, and I have the experience and credibility to make sure that's done in a way that's fair uh, and equitable. Mm. I was reading a summary of this race in the pamphlet media, and they characterize this race as a case of two opposites. Do you think <laughs> that that's an accurate assessment of you and your opponent? Uh, well, it depends if you're talking about form or substance. I mean, I mm. think it's two opposites in the sense that, you know, uh, you know, my opponent's background is largely political uh, and policy-oriented, uh, and mine is as a lawyer and as an advocate and as a prosecutor, which is what the job is. I mean, I think on a lot of issues, we're fundamentally the same. Um, you know, when you drill down into some policy issues, some were not, but many were are. So I wouldn't say we're polar opposites in that regard. But certainly voters will have a choice of whether or not they – want to choose someone who knows this work, is supported by the people in the office, supported by the current district attorney, uh, and someone who's coming from the outside with more of a policy orientation, not supported by those stakeholders. Mm -hmm. And so in that respect, I do think it is a choice of opposites. Mm. And when you just mentioned equity and justice, and we see um, disparity in the justice system, especially with folks who identify in communities of color, how do you define equity? Well, I mean, I think equity is ensuring that every person who comes into the system, defendant, victim, uh, is treated fairly. Uh, and that's an oversimplification, of course, and it's an aspirational goal. Uh, but it's one that I think is critical in the justice system. And it's one that we have not always met, candidly. I mean, I don't think, you know, it, it, you'd have to be living uh, under a rock not to recognize some of the historic injustices in the criminal justice system. Uh, in mistakes in the manner we've implemented policies and sentencing and the way we've treated victims and defendants. Uh, So to me, equity is something, uh, it's not like a light switch. It's not like one day you've fixed it or you've, you know, achieved what you need to achieve. It's something that we need to be mindful of every day and what are we doing right or wrong or how can we improve and how can we make this system uh, an institution uh, and institutions something that everyone can trust. And what are indicators that it's going right? I'm sorry, indicators of what rights? That it's going right. Oh, that it's going right. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think, you know, there are so many things uh, that people don't see or don't understand. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that if you talk to many victims or people who have been through the system, um, you know, we have outcomes that are good. Uh, You know, this system has been in place for decades, and the notion that everything is wrong and needs to be changed, of course, is not true. You can go to other countries and look at uh, their justice systems, uh, and they emulate ours. Uh, you can look at outcomes, uh, how they've improved over the years with respect to, uh, you know, getting sentencing more finely tuned, the crime rate dropping over the past two decades. I think those are indications that it's going right. And, you know, the other piece, too, is, and you go back in Multnomah County specifically where we are, and you look at the types of policies and the work uh, that's been done uh, in the district attorney's office with respect to community policing, I think that's an indication it's been done right. But I'll tell you beyond all of that, you know, a prosecution and being in court, uh, you know, it, it's something that we do on a case-by-case basis. You know, the justice system is populated by humans, and I think, uh, you know, every person is different who comes into the system. And really the best barometer of whether we do things right really comes down to each case and how we handle each person with dignity and respect when they come through the system, whether they be a defendant or a victim, and try and get the right outcome. 
And the idea that everything you know, can be reduced down to one size fits all, I think, is wrong. So when you ask the question, what do we get right, I think that really is best measured on a case-by-case basis. Mm. How do you recognize and address bias in your work? Well, in the work of prosecution generally? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's a, you know, a tremendous issue and a significant issue, one that I, you know, I've seen evolve over the years. I mean, I think you can do it in a few different ways. I mean, I think the first piece is you have to recognize uh, you know, explicit and implicit bias within the criminal justice system, or frankly, any institution. I mean, the notion that the criminal justice system uh, in isolation is the only example of institutional racism or bias in our system misreads what's really going on. I don't think many people do that, but you have to look at this in a larger context. Um, everything from fair housing to upstream and downstream, all sorts of policy decisions that are being made. Uh, so when you talk about the criminal justice system, I think you need to look at a couple different things. I mean, you need to be aware of the data uh, to examine whether or not there are indicators that there's bias in the system. Uh, you need to look at individual cases to ensure that decisions are made fairly and that outcomes are adhered to in a way uh, that's fair and respectful of everyone in the process. Um, and lastly, I think there's a human element to this too, and this comes down to managing an office. In addressing bias, you need to have good people doing the work, um, and that means you know hiring and managing a diverse office. And I've worked on issues of diversity in the legal profession uh, over my two decades, uh, and it means ensuring that the folks who are making those day-to-day decisions about defendants or victims are people who are you know open-minded, uh, thoughtful, um, and aware of the biases in the system. Mm-hmm. When one opens the Secretary of State's website and looks at the district attorneys across the state of Oregon, one could assume that folks um, line up in a fairly narrow um, collection of demographic identities, especially around gender identity and race. How do you make sure that you have the voices of a diverse constituency who you represent centered in your work? Well, and this is, you know, a longstanding problem with the legal community and with prosecution generally. I mean, the absence and lack of diversity, which I guess gets to my first answer to your question. There needs to be an awareness that that's an issue. Um, And it goes to something I just said as well, which is, you know, the best way to address that in the long term and to try and have a more reflective uh, prosecution and district attorney's office um, is to begin with hiring and bringing people into the system um, who are different and more accurately uh, and broadly reflect the community they represent. Mm-hmm. So that's the first piece. But, you know, the other piece, too, is, you know, having folks uh, who are doing the work uh, in a fair, equitable, and honest way. Um, because, I mean, we can look at the Secretary of State's website and we can look at what's going on in offices around the state. But at the end of the day, in Multnomah County, my concern in leading that office is ensuring that the deputies who work for me and the attorneys in that office are doing things in the best interest of Multnomah County. Mm-hmm. And that means you know, training and having a good group of folks who understand um, you know, really the community they represent. Mm-hmm. Do we need criminal justice reform? You know, I think absolutely in the sense that it depends how you define it, right? I mean, I think there are things we need to fix. Um, you know, I hear this sort of reform writ large. I sort of push people, what do you mean? What do you want? Because there are things we need to change. On the other hand, I don't think we need to dismantle the entire system and, you know, move away from 
jury trials and you know representation of the defendants under fifth and sixth amendment so it's sort of on the spectrum of reform what are we talking about mm-hmm. but absolutely there are things that need to be changed and what are some of those things that you would like to change as district attorney you know, to me, uh, a couple things. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we need to continue focusing on uh, pretrial diversion and addiction and mental health services for low-level offenses. I think part of the problem is now um, we sort of say that and we pay it lip service, but we don't commit the resources um, to the prosecution side to ensure that if defendants come through the system, uh, we are adequately supervising them to reduce recidivism. Um, and that's, a, again, a resource issue and people recognizing that that is indeed part of the system, uh, law enforcement, probation, to get people in addiction services. You know, but the other big piece to me that I see in need of reform uh, that, you know, I, I mentioned to you earlier is the need to more robustly address uh, issues of poverty um, in the system. And that, you know, there, there's some racial over-representation that needs to be addressed along those lines as well. But, uh, y- you know, we often forget, I think, um, that, you know, people, victims and defendants coming through the system are disproportionately represented at the lower income ends of the, of the community. And we need to do more to address that piece, uh, the poverty piece that comes to the system. And I'll give you a few examples. I mean, cash bail, uh, replacing cash bail, you know, both my opponent and I agree on that. But I think that kind of misses the mark. I published or wrote an op-ed a while back about legislation to address the fines and fees attendant to the criminal justice system that often penalize folks who do everything right and leave the system. Um, but are trailed for the rest of their lives by fines and fees. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's legal services uh, for folks in dealing with expungements and other sort of areas where there are collateral consequences to conviction. So there's things that seem insignificant, but I think we need to focus our energy and efforts on reform uh, in a way that's mindful of the whole person and the way poverty impacts the criminal justice system and vice versa. And so how do you get that done? I think you probably have lots of listeners who are agreeing with you right now. Yes, we need to change the overrepresentation, uh, of, of particularly, race, particularly with regard to race in the criminal justice system. We want to tackle fees and cash bail. How do you get that done? Well, I mean, and this, I, I think, speaks to, you know, why I'm the best candidate in the race. I mean, you get that done by having the credibility and understanding of the criminal justice system. I mean, the reality is, like any other system, um, you know, it's a hard one to tear apart, and I'm not suggesting that. And so the things you can do, I mean, first of all, let's understand that the district attorney's role is to run an office of attorneys who uh, try cases and prosecute cases. Um and so you can implement and influence policy within your own office to a certain range. I'm proud to be unanimously supported by everyone in that office, and I would have attorneys focus on ensuring that sanctions or sentences imposed on those lower-level cases are mindful of the impacts they have disproportionately on the poor uh, and mindful of those little decisions that can impact someone in the long run. Big picture, uh, more broadly, I mean, there is a legislative piece to this that's not the leading role of the district attorney. Uh, But I'm willing to work with the District Attorneys Association, even though I don't agree with everything they do, to try and implement and bring about some of these changes uh, to cash bail, uh, to fines and fees, uh, where you can at the legislative level uh, statewide to try and bring some of those changes about in a way that I think will have a long-term impact on people who are impacted by the criminal justice system. As you just addressed, the district attorney has both a caseload and a management role. Speak to us about your management experience. 
Well, no, that's a great question because uh, not only does the district attorney have a management role, it's a different kind of management role. Mm -hmm. It's a management role of attorneys. Uh, and the reason that's different is because they have a discrete task to do, um, and it's not you know, managing employees who do other things. And that's why I'm proud to be supported by the current district attorney because I think there's an awareness of that. I actually was a supervisor in that office years ago. Um, supervised attorneys, which is precisely what I'll be doing uh, as district attorney. Uh, and I've also over the years served on a number of different boards where I've had to oversee budgets um, and grants and that type of work. Uh, and more relevantly, uh, I've overseen and managed some of the largest criminal investigations in Oregon's history. Uh, and that certainly gave me the experience and credibility to walk into a room uh, where you're dealing with stakeholders in the criminal justice system and investigators and say, you know, these are the things we need to do. Hmm. What's an example of a case that you've prosecute, prosecuted that changed your life? Um, <laughs> that's changed my life? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, um, I've had a number of, you know, over the years, fascinating cases ranging from espionage to terrorism. Mm. Um, but y y the ones that have really impacted me, quite honestly, I go back and I think about it at the district attorney's office. Um, it's the cases where you really have a human component. I mean, they're so, you know, I've prosecuted, the, you know, the Malheur Ranch uh, takeover cases, uh, the Christmas tree bomber case, mm. uh, you know, the longest serving CIA spy in U.S. history. But none of those really have impacted me, changed my life in the same way that, candidly, all the people I met who were victims um, in the criminal justice system at the district attorney's office, uh, whose lives were so impacted by the crime and they were so appreciative that somebody was listening to them and an advocate for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I talk at the beginning about, you know, sort of folks who are poor who don't have a voice um, and how I noticed that early on in my career, you know, that's to me, what stays with me more than anything else of all the cases I've prosecuted. It's the mm -hmm. person who has no voice, and you can give them that voice through the system, who's been abused, who is victimized uh, and has so little, but is treated fairly in the eyes of the law. Mm. I'm sure you have cases that you've won and cases that you've lost. What helps you get out of bed every morning and continue to fight? <laughs> well, it's not always easy, because you do lose some, uh, mm -hmm. and you win some, and I think it's keeping all of it in perspective that it's not um, about winning or losing at all. It's mm -hmm. about, you know, getting out of bed because you believe you're doing the right thing as an advocate on behalf of the community. Uh, and that if you're making good, honest decisions, that really is the guiding principle. Uh, and to me, that's what motivates me is that, you know, I love to be an advocate for the people of this community. Uh, and that's what I see the role is. Uh, and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning, that I can continue to do that work. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a moral luxury to be able to get paid um, to do the right thing and to be an advocate uh, for a community that you love. Mm. Ethan, where can folks find out more information about you and how to support your campaign? Uh, no, that uh, a question I'm more than happy to answer. <laughs> can go I'll to give the you website. an easy one, <laughs> an easy one. <laughs> the easy one, exactly. Electethanight.com, which has uh, you know, a variety of information on how to get involved, uh, who our supporters are, and a, a number of substantive pieces about physicians uh, that we've taken in the campaign and we believe are critical to the voters of Multnomah County. Excellent. Ethan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Have Take a good care. day. Okay, bye-bye.
Again, that's Ethan Knight, candidate for Multnomah County District Attorney. You can find out more at electethanknight, that's K-N-I-G-H-T dot com.